Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. Today we are celebrating Independence Day with a message called The Price of Freedom. Pastor CJ shows us that the price of our country's freedom costs many men and women's lives. But our spiritual freedom came to us by the price Jesus paid on the cross with His life. We have so much to be thankful and grateful for this July 4th, don't we? We hope you enjoy this message. Today I want to talk about uh, the price of freedom. Next week I want to remind you to bring your rocks for the last time. We're going to be ending our series, uh, Five Smooth Stones, and then we're going to be doing a lot of different things. I'm excited about that because in the summer we don't do a lot of series because people are gone. As you can see, there's a lot of people gone today. But in the summer we do different topics, different uh, type of things that we'll be talking about. And one of the things I'm really excited about is the next message that God put on my heart after, after the Five with stones is why we worship and uh, I, I'm so excited it's just jumping in me I want to jump into that one next week but I know I got one more left to, to do and we're going to talk about the giant of uh, addiction next week how to slay the giant of addiction next week and then I want to jump right into why we worship and a lot of times people we do this because of why why do we do this we we kind of follow suit of why everybody else is standing and everybody else is lifting their arms and so if they're doing it it must be the right thing to do and sometimes we don't understand really why we do some of the things we do in church but we're Worship sets the tone or the atmosphere for God to come. How many know that's true? And I don't know about you, but I, I, um, I love the worship. The Bible says those that worship, worship in spirit and in truth. And when we worship the Lord, it sets the atmosphere or the presence for God to come. I always say worship positions you, worship positions you to receive what God has for you. And God has great things in store for you. Amen. Amen. So I want to just talk about this today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something for those that maybe we're going to recognize and we're going to identify some people here today. But I want to talk to you about the price of freedom. And I don't know about you. Did my wife do a great job up on the platform? I think it's awesome, isn't it? And uh, she, she, uh, she's the one that comes up with all the ideas. I wish I could take that idea, but it's always my wife. Amen. And so my pookie woman has got it together. Baby, do you ever. You got it together. Baby, do you ever. Amen. I just like talking about my women. Amen. I'll tell you, you tickle the clam, you get the pearl. Amen. And so, amen. Huh? I like talking about my women. Look, my, my woman. My, my woman. Let me make that plural. My woman. Amen. All right. Singular. singular. There you go. Singular. Wrong word again. Amen. That's, I, my wife always says she's going to make a blooper tape. You can put that one on the blooper tape, amen. <laughs> I'm both of them, amen. Hey, uh, let me ask you something. Uh, have you ever thought about the price of freedom? Have you really ever thought about that? No, this is, I want you to think. When I was growing up, and I, will, I would always say these things. When I was growing up, Dawn, I would say these things. I can't wait until I reach a certain age. Or when I get to that age, how many can relate to what I'm talking about? You couldn't wait until you reached a certain age. It was always a different phase in your life that I can't wait till I get to this age. Amen. How many remember this? I remember this. Uh, at each age, there was a little more freedom to do something. I remember this. I could sleep over my friend's house. My mom would let me sleep over at my friend's house when I got nine years old, when I turned nine. My mom said, hey, nine was the real number that you become a little more of an adult. You understand things. So at nine years old, I finally had the freedom to go and sleep over at my friend's house. Hey, I'm moving on up. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something, really. 
I didn't really like to sleep over my friend's house because I really had a problem. There's no kidding. I'm going to be real transparent with you. I was afraid to sleep over my friend's house. Amen. Lord said, let there be light. Amen. And uh, uh, I was afraid to sleep over my friend's house. And even, even, I'm just being real cool with you, real honest with you. Uh, even, even when I was in junior high, I was afraid to sleep over to my friend's house or go over to my friend's home. You know why? Because when I was born, I had collapsed lungs. And because I had collapsed lungs, I was real sensitive to even cold or any kind of uh, air or air conditioning or so on. And because of that, and I hate even to say this, but I was, even though I had that freedom at nine to be able to do that, I would be afraid to go sleep at my friend's house because I had a problem. And the problem that I had, it helped, it held me back and it put me in bondage from sleeping over at my friend's house. And you know what that was? I had a problem of wetting the bed all the way up till ninth grade. I really did. And I, I would, I would, Helen, I would be so ashamed of trying to do that, uh, sleep over at my friend's house. So a lot of my friends, would, when I'd get through high school and, excuse me, when I was in junior high and I played basketball and so on with all my teammates and, hey, CJ, you going to sleep over? Hey, we're having a guy's night out, man. Uh, I, I, uh, 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 I can't. Well, why not? Well, I, I would always use this excuse. My mom won't let me. That was my way out. And uh, really what happened was that I was really, even though at nine my mom gave me the permission, I couldn't because I had that bondage. But how many remember this? When I got older, I could ride my bike around the block. How many can remember that time? But my mom would always time me. Now you're going to be back in five minutes, okay? I'll let you go around the block, but you got to be back in five minutes. Freedom, amen. I got free. I could ride around the block, Amen. But each phase brought me to a sense of freedom, but also was a price with it. How many of you know that was, that's true? And then when I got old enough to drive, I didn't have to take, have my mom be the taxi cab driver to drive me to school or to take me to different events. Amen? Boy, that was freedom. But you know what? With freedom came a price. And you know what that price was? Now I had to start paying for the gas for my car. So it really wasn't that much freedom. Now that which was free of mom taking me to events, I was paying for. And then when I went to college, I had the freedom. I moved out of my mom and dad's house, and I had the freedom. I was living in the dorms. I had, you know, I had two roommates. That Each of my roommates' name was Rick and Rick. And then when my brother would come, his name was Rick. And so we had three guys in the room with Rick, Rick, and Rick. And so every time you say Rick, I had six eyes looking at me. And then I would sing the song, I got a feeling somebody's watching me. I mean, I mean every time I heard Rick. I mean, they were looking at the side, front, back, every crack of me. They were like, hey. And I said, no. And so we had to end up making names for it. So we called one, his name was Books. So his name was Rick Books. And so what we did, we called him Coke because his name was Rick Books. And he, all the time, I don't know what it was, Dave, but all the time he had Coke on the brain. I mean, Coca-Cola. And every song that he would sing, he would sing the jingle, a Coke and a smile. So I'm not kidding. He'll be down the hallway, a Coke and a smile. And we're like, man, he's going to do a rap to a Coke. And so not that kind of Coke that you put up your nose. You know, that's where my house went, my car went, my job went. But no, he's talking about the Coca-Cola. And then we called the other one Silk, Rick Manning. We called him Silk because he was just, he had a smooth shot, you know, with basketball. So we called him Silk. And then, of course, my brother, we just kept his name Rick. Amen. How many of you have seen Facebook the other day of my brother? Uh, man, the greatest, greatest thing. I, this is a, a rabbit trail but uh, that I want to just share with you. Um, 
my brother uh, is my best friend. And uh, let, me, let me just tell you what God did for my brother. Um, my brother, uh, man, sacrificed. He's a muscle head. He loves muscle cars. And at one point, he had seven different muscle cars. I mean, he had the Impalas, which I brought one of them from him, and he had the, the Thunderbirds, he had the Chevelles. He had seven different muscle cars. And eventually, through circumstances of his life, he sold some of them off. And then his last one, he was rebuilding a Chevelle, 1966 Chevelle. And he brought the motor, he had everything, and he had all the parts to put it together. But one of his sons played NBA basketball. And so because he was making his way up the ladder of playing basketball, my, my, my brother had to sell off his car. Okay, so he sold the motor, which the motor was very expensive. I think he sold it for five grand, and then he sold the body, then he sold the frame, and he sold Adam, you're a car guy. He, he parted it out to help his son get into basketball, and his son ended up being very good. He played with the Miami Heat, then he went over to uh, uh, Australia and played basketball in Australia, won the MVP in Australia. But my brother sacrificed all this stuff for her, the sake of his kids. If you've seen on Facebook on uh, Friday, excuse me, Thursday, uh, my brother got a phone call, and they filmed this, and it was so cool. I cried like a baby, and uh, knowing that this is my brother, uh, Dan, it was so cool. My brother's been wanting to buy another muscle car, and so uh, he found one in California, a quite expensive muscle car. If you've seen it, you understand, and he got a phone call, and he was sitting on the couch, and if you've seen it on Facebook, you can you can look it up um they said come outside and so uh my brother what 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 what's going on what's going on and so he had his phone and it was his son calling him say hey come outside dad and his son lives in california both of them live in california but they want to surprise my brother and uh what happened was is that my brother is looking down the driveway and he hears this <laughs> and he looks and he this froze and he fell to his knees uh, that my nephews brought my brother or his their dad a 1966 beautiful 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 Chevelle and my brother just broke and started crying it was the greatest thing I tell you it makes me want to cry now you know and uh, because and then um, one of the things that Grant said the one that played basketball he said dad I thought this was so cool he said, you sacrificed for me. Now, Dad, I'm sacrificing for you. And uh, they brought this car for their dad. And it was the greatest thing. And if you look on Facebook, Sue, everybody blew it up. Rick, you deserve it. Rick, you deserve it. Rick, you deserve it. But freedom comes with a price. How many know that's true? And uh, I, I'm sorry about that rabbit trail. It's just on my heart. Uh, hallelujah. When I went to college, I thought freedom was good, but then I began to take on bills. But then I got married. I found a great wife. I got a great woman. But then kids came along, and then tennis shoes came along, and then there was the freedom that I thought I had, but now I'm paying for expenses. And how many can relate? Every time in different phases of our life, we think we're moving up the ladder and becoming more free. But every phase also came with a cost. Amen? When you think of freedom, you think of responsibilities or restraints uh, to hold you back. Uh, you don't 
don't have to answer to anyone. That's a lot of times what we think about when freedom. I don't have to answer to anybody. I'm free. Sometimes we take for granted the price that men and women paid for our, our country and our freedom. The freedom that we have today as a wonderful country is what we call America came with a price. And uh, if you have your sermon notes, I want you to uh, take out your sermon notes with me and follow along with me. And uh, my wife typed these. Uh, yes. One major error. I took it off the internet. Oh, it, it was it's correct. It's six to seven hundred dollars. Okay, where is that at? Civil War. Civil War. All right, but it, here's here's what I want you to see. Here is the price, and my wife put this together on Wednesday night, typed it all up together, and then she saved it and she lost it. She had to retype it all over again. And so, but look at, I, I want to show you something, the price of what people paid. And maybe you have been involved in these eras of, of, of uh, war, but the Revolutionary War, the number serving was 217,000, wounded 6,188, battle death were 4,435 people. And sometimes we take that for granted for our freedom that the people that have gone before us have lost their lives. And you can see in, in War of 1812, 286,730, 4,505 that were wounded, 2,260 that were fatally. And so you think about the number of people that have lost their lives for our freedom. And sometimes we don't see the behind-the-scenes things, but because of our freedom just comes natural to us, we forget the cost or the price that men and women have paid for us. But as we go on, you can see the Mexican War was 78,718. 4,152 were wounded. 1,733 were fatal. But look at when we get into the next one, the Civil War. 3,263,363 people, 354,805 people that were wounded. But look how many fatal lives took their lives for our freedom. 191,963 people laid down their lives for us. The cost of freedom. You see, sometimes we take freedom for granted that we have a country that we can worship God, we can lift our hands, we can drive to the store without any restraints, we can buy what we want to buy, we can have as many children as we want. In China, they can, they're limited to kids. But here in America, because of these men and women that have fought for us, we have freedom. The Spanish-American War, you can see there, 306,760, 1,662. And then how many fatal? 385. Now watch when we get it to War, War One. Have we have any person here today that may have been involved in World War One? Anyone in that era? In that era of World War One? Four million seven hundred and thirty-four people, nine hundred and ninety-one people served, two hundred and four thousand and two people that were wounded, fifty-three thousand two hundred and four that were fatal. How about World War Two? Anyone that was maybe involved in that area on World War Two? in that phase or in that era? Neil, where were you? What were you involved with? What era were you in? What era were you in for battle? Vietnam? Korea? No. All right. Korea conflict. Will you stand? Anybody that was involved in the Korea conflict or Vietnam, will you stand? Anyone that was involved in that era? Anyone? Look at this. This is awesome. Look around, look around. Can, can you hold for a second? Will you understand? 
Watch this. Anyone that was involved in the Persian Gulf? Anyone that was involved in the Persian Gulf? Bill? Anyone else today? Dave? Is that awesome? Now, anyone else that's involved right now in the military or getting ready? I know we have a young man over here I just met today getting ready to go into the Army. And we have someone that's in the Army right now. Who's in the Army that you came up to me, ma'am, that's in the Army for 10 years? God bless you. Thank you for serving. He's in the Army right now. God bless you. I think we need to show these appreciation. And here, here's what I want you guys to do. Young man, I'm so proud of you. He's getting ready. He's just ready to enlist. I just found this out today. God bless you. Can I pray over you as you stand right there? And will you men just turn your hands and put, will you send your hand towards him right now? Father, we lift up this young man. I thank you that he's willing to pay the price. He's getting ready to go into the army, Father. He's enlisted, Father. I pray your hedge of protection about him, that you will use him, God, that you will protect him and watch over him. Lord, may he find favor with you and favor with man. We pray for his mom and dad and his brother and even his girlfriend and ask that, God, that you would just bless them and give them peace that everything is going to be okay, that your hedge of protection is about him. And we thank you, Father, for him. And, Lord, we thank you for this man over here that is in 10 years in the army right now. We pray that you will bless him, that you will watch over him and protect him, Father. We thank you, God, that you are the God that's in control of all situations, circumstances, and battles. Bless him and give him peace, Lord, for we thank you, Father, for him, and we thank you for these men and women that are standing right now. We thank you for the sacrifice that they have made and how they battled for our freedom. We ask that you bless them this day in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Neil. God bless you. God bless you. As you see, you can see that men and women went before us. But in Isaiah, you can see in Isaiah, and before Isaiah, if you remember the story about Paul Revere, Paul Revere is the one that went out before us called the Midnight Ride. And the Midnight Ride was when Paul Revere ran between Boston and Massachusetts, and he ran, and he said, the British are coming, the British are coming, and he made a way and let people be alert that the Brits were on the move, and they were ready to pounce and make an attack. And they were making an awareness, he was making an awareness on the Midnight Ride of 1775 on April 18th. He was making that awareness that the Brits are coming to attack. In other words, he was alerting them. And in Isaiah, you can see that Isaiah was preparing a way to let us know that there is one that come to set the captives free. In Isaiah 61, it'll be on the screen, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. How many know the good news is the word of God? And the word of God brings hope. And hope is what, what sets us free from discouragement, from fear, defeat in our lives. That God gives us hope. And here's the hope. There's the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. How many know that's great? He come to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds, right? And he said, listen, to bind up their wounds, to proclaim freedom for the captive. How many know that song, I once was lost, but now I'm found? Amazing grace. Aren't you glad that you received that grace of Jesus Christ, that you once were lost, but now you're found? I don't know about you, but before I met Jesus Christ, I was lost, but now today I am found in Jesus. And that because of that, I have hope, I have purpose, and I have meaning in life. And he says, you come to set the captives free and release us from darkness for the prisoners. How many know that's great? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of God. He said, to comfort all
all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to restore on them a crown of beauty. How many of you know that that sounds like to me that we have some hope on, in store for us? That Isaiah was proclaiming that there is one that's going to come to set the captives free. He's making us alert and he's tuning us to let us know that there is hope in your life. And maybe today you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and maybe you're all confined and maybe you're bound up and maybe you're confused and maybe you're walking aimlessly. Well, I'm here to tell you today, as Isaiah said, there is hope on the way and that hope is through Jesus Christ, that he came to set the captives free. He is the key. He said, I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And how many today have a keychain that maybe has 20 different keys on it? And on that keychain, each key represents a different door, maybe a different vehicle, or maybe your house or whatever, but that key represents something that you're going to open. And I'm here to tell you today, we hold the key. And the key that we hold in our lives is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the master key. He is the great I am, the one that comes to unlock you from the pit of darkness, from the pit of the snare of the enemy, from the pit of confusion. He comes to set us free and free indeed. Somebody say amen. He sets us free. Isaiah wants to say, hey, listen, the Lord comes and he shows us he loves us. He loves us because he came and he's going to lay down his life for us. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it's John the Baptist. And he's proclaiming the one that I am not worthy of the one even to wear his sandals. And he's preparing once again the way of letting us know there's one greater than I am. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He said this, This is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61. He is the one that he has spoken. He is now coming. He's existing here on planet Earth. He's in the physical form. He's going to be one who is coming, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to put on. You see, see, it was spoken in the, in the Old Testament. Now it's existing in the New Testament. That God, what was spoken in the Old Testament, came to pass. How many know that God's promises are yes and amen? That God always follows through with his word. His word will not return void. So what he said in Isaiah, now he's proven it in Matthew. And he says this, this is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Have you noticed that? The wilderness. I don't know about you, but man, when, when I used to go deer hunting, I was on my own, my father's property, and I know this property pretty well. He had 168 acres of property, and I somehow got discombobulated. I got so discombobulated, man, I got lost, Joe, in this property, and I was stuck in these briar patches. I'm not kidding. I was in the middle of the briar patches. I didn't know where I was, and you know what I did? I sat down, no kidding, on a stump, and I began to cry, and wouldn't you know it, while I was crying, here come this big buck, but by that time, I was all messed up and discombobulated. I couldn't even get my gun up there and I was lost and I didn't even know where north south east or west was but what happened was as I was crying I noticed off from a distance that was to my right there was a car that was going by on a road that I recognized oh that's the road that leads to my dad's house so I it pointed me in that direction and I started to walk in the direction of where the sound of the car came from and eventually it got me to the point of where I wanted to get home thank you Jesus but you know what that's what the wilderness is like the wilderness will be a place of confusion 
disconfusion. It'll be a place of discouragement. It'll be a place of defeat in your life. And man, you're going to sit on the stump crying saying, what is going on in my life? And that will always happen until you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And John the Baptist is saying, there's one whose sandals I'm not even worthy of holding on. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. I baptize you with water, with repentance. How many of you know that repentance means doing an about face? An about face is saying, I'm turning from my ways, my wicked ways. I'm turning from the world, and I'm doing about face. And I'm the world behind me and the cross before me. And I'm going to strive to do my best before God. And I'm going to try to repent from the things that used to take me away and take me and drift me away further from God. I'm going to repent from that, and I'm going to turn towards God. You see, and he goes on to say, he said, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals, look at what he says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Man, who's Jeff, what he's saying is, who is I'm not worthy. And he will baptize you with, Dan, the Holy Spirit and fire. Why does he say the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But you ever think about the word fire? The Holy Spirit is a, represents of also of the fire. And what does fire share and do? Sharing the fire burns away the droth in your life. It burns away those things that need to be burned away. So why he says fire, he says, because once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and the moment you accept Christ into your life, you say, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will purify you from all unrighteousness. What happens is that Holy Spirit that you introduce into your life now burns the away those things in your life so that you can be free from them so they can walk into your new future and that's why he says fire because I'm going to burn away those excess things in your life that you don't need to carry that you don't need to hold on to your past your failures your faults your sins you don't need to carry on to it because all that is is baggage and baggage will hold you back from your future and that's why Isaiah Jeremiah excuse me says I know the plans that I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you but plans to give you hope and God says listen I can't lead you into your future I can't lead you into what God have for you if you're carrying your past, your failures, your faults, and your sins. So what I got to do is I got to come into your heart. I got to set you free. And then once I do, I got to burn that away so you can be free of that, Rose, and walk in the liberty that I have for your life. Isn't that exciting what God does? Not only do I give you the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, through you, and out of you, but I'm going to do a work in your life that's going to totally separate you from the things of this world. I'm going to even burn them away. Isn't that exciting? Now look what he says in John. And we all know John 3. He says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world. You know who the world is? It's you and I. I remember when I was a kid going to Sunday school, when I did go on Easter and Christmas, and they would sing this song. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 You know who the world is? It's you and me. And I always love this about God. You know what he says in John chapter 10? He says, he has you in the palm of his hand, and nothing can snatch you from him. Look about this. This is the beauty of God. He has you in the palm of his hands. 
And when the sun is out, his hand is wide open. That's why when you mess with the sun, the S-U-N, it burns you. Amen. And you find out the results. But you know what? I want you to think about this, Sue. He has you in the palm of his hand. And when the sun is out, it's raining on you, man. It's just beautiful. The sun. But you know what he does? When the storms of life come your way, you know what he does? He closes his hands. And he shelters you from the storms of life. He's got the whole world in his hands, and that includes you and I. That when the sun is out, man, he lets the rays shine on you. But when the storms come, the storms of life, when you think you're never going to make it, and you're going down, and you're going for the end, and the, the count's there, and you're thinking, I'm doomed, I'm never going to make it. Guess what he says? Ah, I got you. I got you. Cheryl and I, when we had an opportunity to go to Cancun, we went to an underground river. It was a, a tunnel, and it was a, the coolest thing. And it was a river that was in caves. And uh, it, it gets to a point where it gets really, really dark. And Cheryl, anything about her, she likes to see the bottom. She doesn't really, she's claustrophobic, and she likes to see the bottom. And I'll never forget this. And we got to a place in the river underground that got really dark. You know what I'm talking about? Escaret. How many of you ever been to Escaret there in Cancun? And the Escaret Zoo, you've been there? And we were swimming, and we had snorkels on, and we had our masks on, and we had the fins on. And before you knew it, Cheryl kind of got behind me. And it got really dark. And knowing her situation, that she's kind of claustrophobic, I stopped, and I reached behind me, and I grabbed her arm, and I pulled her up alongside me. Just knowing that she had that situation, that claustrophobic moment in her life, not knowing that she was going through, but I know her that well. And so when we got through the end of the tunnel and at the end of the river, she grabbed me right away and embraced me. She said, honey, I want to say thank you for rescuing me and pulling me in to you during that moment. She said, because I was feeling really claustrophobic and I was afraid. And you know what? That's what your God does. That when you think you're going down, he reaches me up and he takes you and he pulls you along this, his side. And he says, listen, I got you. Even though you think that you're going and you're drifting away, I got you. I got you where I want you. Now I'm going to get you. And he's got you. And he's not going to let you go because he has you in the palm of his hand. And when the storms come, he closes it. And when the sun comes, he opens it. He's got the whole world in his hands. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave us, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world. Now, you got to get this. This is where a lot of people get, get sidetracked. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. You see, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation will heap guilt. Now get this. Condemnation, Jeff, will heap guilt, shame, all these things on you. That's condemnation. And condemnation will bury you. It'll defeat you. It'll make you want to give up. But conviction will bring to light those things in your life that you have to correct on your own. You see, the Holy Spirit will convict you and bring it to light, and then he'll leave it up to you to either change or not change. But he's not going to condemn you and say you're a loser, you're no good, you're doomed, you're never going to make it. That's what condemnation is. Con 
condemnation will make you feel like a swayback donkey and make you carry all your guilt, shame. After all, what did Jesus do? He came to set the captives free. He was the ultimate sacrifice that died for our sins. So therefore, why is he doing that? He wants us to be convicted so that we make the decision on our own. He's not going to twist our arm. He's not going to force us to do something that we don't want to do. He's going to give you the freedom of choice to say, listen, I'm going to bring it to light. I'm going to bring it to surface. Now it's up to you to take that chance and take that step to change your life. Amen? That's what the difference between condemnation and guilt is. He says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Aren't you glad that you're not condemned? You are free. Can I ask you something? If we're supposed to be free, then why do you still carry your past? If you're supposed to be free and we're celebrating freedom, then can I ask you, why do you still carry your past? Why do you still carry that badge of your faults, your failures, your sins? You see, your past is only a testimony of your future. I once was lost, but now I have a testimony. He took my mess. Now get this. He took my mess and gave me a message. I, have a, I was in a mess. I was messed up. But now through my mess, he's given me a message. You see, so can I ask you, if we say we're free indeed, then how are we, or why are we still carrying our baggage? When does a point come in your life that you accept your forgiveness and move on and say, God, thank you that I'm free indeed? Right? And so many times we carry that. But whoever does not believe in stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God, the one who has sent his son. And what God wants to do, he wants to set us free and free indeed. And so here today, you say, so pastor, how can we walk? And I need to move quickly. How should I walk in freedom? And you have your notes. Number one was this. Always remember to have a grateful heart for your freedom. Man, always remember to have a grateful heart for your freedom. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. I, I share this story. Cheryl and I had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. And we went to the Vietnam Wall. And, man, it was amazing, all the names that are inscribed on the wall there. And, man, people placing plaques there and flowers there and so on and so forth. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'll never forget this. As we were leaving the Vietnam Wall, we were walking down this, this, this uh, corridor or this sidewalk. And as we were walking uh, the sidewalk, there came a group of men. And there was about eight of them. And then in the middle of that group, they were pushing a young man in a wheelchair down towards the Vietnam Wall. And we were walking towards Mike, Greg, and I, and Susan, Greg, and my wife, the four of us. And we were walking, and as they approached us, I stopped, and here was this man in his wheelchair. And I get this. Check this out. I, I'm not exaggerating by any stretch of the imagination. I stopped, and I shook the man's hand, and I said, listen, I said, I, I want to thank you for the sacrifice that you guys have done for us to give us our freedom. And I was just thanking him. I, I, Don, I'll never forget this. And I'm not exaggerating. There was probably eight guys and nine with him in the wheelchair. And they're all clustered around him. And I said, thank you. I am so grateful. Because if you walk and go into the Vietnam Wall and you go see the exhibits there, it makes you cry. It really does if you have never been there. And I was so caught up in that moment. And all of a sudden, here I'm caught up. I'm not kidding. Here I'm caught up. But the guy in the wheelchair started crying. True story. I'll never forget this. He started crying. And all of a sudden he said these words, Bill. He said, I want to thank you. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? 
He said, so many times people just pass us by and they don't recognize the sacrifice that we've made. And what had happened, this young man lost his legs. And that's why he was confined to the wheelchair. And he looked at me and says, no, I want to thank you for being grateful for what we have done for you. I about lost it. And you know how we can show and be thankful for our freedom is just say, Lord, I am so thankful. One way we can show we are thankful or grateful is by saying thank you to the veterans you know. Thank you. For those who stood, thank you. Another one is this. Do something for someone else without expecting something back. Man. Do, did you get this? Do something for someone else without expecting something back. Can I be honest with you? So many times, people, before they do something, they want to weigh the cost. And we say things like, what's in it for me? How much skin do I have to give? Well, what's this going to involve? And we're always expecting something in return. But you know what? One way that we can show that we're thankful for our freedom is just by doing something without expecting something back. I always find this to be true. Hear me, people. Hear me. God sees the things that you do in secret. And when you read the word of God throughout the word in Elijah in 2 Kings, when, when the lady closed the door with her two sons and she closed the door in secret, God began to pour the oil that it paid for her bills and was able to get the debt collectors off her back. Elijah when her, the son of the maiden servant was dying, Elijah went in and closed the door and laid upon her son. And what was done in secret, he was healed. Matthew chapter 6 says, And when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door, and God will reward you for what is done in secret. You see, God rewards, Joe, those things that are done in secret. And you know what? We don't have to blow the trumpets when we do something great because, listen, what we get the appraisal of, of the applause of man will be here today and gone tomorrow, but the rewards with God are going to be in our crown one day and say, listen, that what you've done in secret, you see that ruby on that crown? It's because I saw you, Sue. I saw you. And not only did I see what you did, but now I'm rewarding you. Here's your eternal rewards where moth and rust and thieves can't break in and steal. Somebody say amen. You see, listen, doing something for someone without expecting anything back from them will show you a little of what your soldiers did for us, not expecting anything in return. Remember what others did for you free of charge, gave their lives, gave up their family time, and even their jobs so they can have life today. Number three, ask yourself if you could give your life for others. That's a big one. Could you really give your life for others? Young man for 10 years in the Army, God bless you. Young man getting ready to go in the Army, God bless you. Those that sacrifice, could you lay down your life for others? When you ask yourself if you would give up your life for someone, I wonder what you will really say or even do. What will you say or even do? What would you really say or do? When you look at things in this light, it helps you see the price that these men and women went through for us. And lastly is this. Pray for those 
you may know in service today. As you see, we prayed for some that stood. Pray for those. Pray for those that you may know that's on the lines right now. I read a book by Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho has one of the largest, if not the largest, church in the world in Seoul, Korea. And when the Korean went out to war, everybody that was in their church, they prayed for all the soldiers that went out to battle in Dr. Cho's church. And after the battle was over and the war was over, they took a tally of all those people that went off to battle. Listen to this. Bill, Dr. Cho's church... Revival Terries is the name of the book. And it says this, that every soldier that went off the war out of his church, and his church is over a million people, you know what? Not one person came back lost. They had every soldier that went to battle came back and was accounted for. Why? Because of prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer. And we could pray for things. Because we are Americans. Go ahead. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. You can see heroes every day going in and out of factory gates. You meet heroes across a counter, and they're on both sides of that counter. There are entrepreneurs with faith in themselves and faith in an idea who create new jobs, new wealth, and opportunity. There are individuals and families whose voluntary gifts support church, charity, culture, art, and education. Their patriotism is quiet but deep. Their values sustain our national life. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. The crisis we're facing today does not require of us the kind of sacrifice so many thousands of others were called upon to make. It does require, however, our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves and to believe in our capacity to perform great deeds, to believe that together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. Let's all stand now as we close today. You are Americans. Thank you for you servicemen and women that have gone before us. Thank you. I pray that this 4th of July season will be truly a liberating time for you spiritually as well as physically. 
Amen. Father, thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you, Father, that God is because of your son, Jesus, that came to set the captives free. We can be a church that is liberated, that is free from past failures, faults, and sins, and we can be free spiritually. But, Father, thank you for the men and women that have fought on the battle lines for us that gave us freedom in this wonderful, wonderful country. And, Lord, as we celebrate Fourth of July and we could see the fireworks and we get with family and friends, may we never forget the sacrifices of many that have laid down their lives for us. Bless this wonderful church. Go with us throughout these things, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. We here at Adventure Church would really love to hear from you. You can connect with us online. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by using at Adventure Church Siren or check out our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com.